We're going to conclude today this series that we've been involved in for, believe it or not, two and a half months. And some of you are saying right now, about time. Uh, hopefully not everyone, but some of you, it's all right, I can get it. Um, but we've been talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life and what that means. And we've been looking at the book of Acts because in the Bible, the book of Acts is that uh, record, the um, story of the birth and advance and, and uh, spread and uh, movement of the church of Jesus Christ as the, uh, this handful of people in the city of Jerusalem, once filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, actually became a movement that overtook the whole of the world and still today is at work changing the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ in the care and custodianship, custodialship of the church of Jesus Christ is making a difference around the world right now as we speak and even in this room. The power of the gospel to change lives is limitless. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of believers uh, empowering that gospel to uh, be dispensed in ways that are uh, impacting this globe. And we want to be more part of that. When I read the book of Acts and I see the amazing story that's told here of everyday people just like you and me who were experiencing daily the miraculous movement of God through their lives, I want my faith journey to look more like that than it did yesterday. And, and so we come to the book of Acts once again as our launching pad, as we have throughout this series, to see how we can learn from their example of what it is to uh, daily walk in the miraculous power of the Spirit. We've talked about the power source, who the Holy Spirit is and what He's up to and how He can fill us and overflow us. Uh, but then we've also been... Uh, as we've observed the miraculous going on on the pages of the book of Acts, we've also been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 because what we see on the pages of the book of Acts are the gifts of the Holy Spirit being unleashed through the church. And in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we have this list of the nine gifts of the Spirit, the nine supernatural enablings of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers so that he can dispense through us the answer to the needs that are all around us miraculously, powerfully, amazingly. These nine gifts of the Spirit, we've grouped into three uh, triads, the first one we dealt with under the title, The Power to Communicate. And those three gifts that we talked about then were tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Then we talked about three under the title, The Power to uh, Understand, the Word of Knowledge, Word of Wisdom, and Discerning of Spirits. And we've been finishing up talking about the final three of these gifts of the Spirit um, under the title, The Power to Change Things. And we've been we started out talking about faith and miracles, and then last week we began to talk about healings, and today we're going to finish that up with part two and complete the series. Now, last week when we talked about divine healing or miraculous healing, uh, we talked about a theology, a biblical theology of healing, and how important it is to understand that we live in a world where sickness is still an issue, but we have a Savior who is not only making healing still available, but that that healing is for the whole person, not only their spiritual sickness, not only their emotional uh, soul 
uh, ex uh, sickness, but also the sickness and diseases of our body. Jesus came, Isaiah 53 tells us to uh, deal with the impact of sin at every dimension of a person's life, spirit, soul, and body. And so when we talk about divine healing, we're not talking about something that ended, you know, with the, uh, the apostles. This is something clearly the Bible makes, uh, makes uh, plain is available to us today and that Jesus paid a high price to make healing available to us, spirit, soul, and body. Then we talked about uh, some of the questions that people have about divine healing. Does everyone get healed all the time? If, if not, why not? And uh, should we pray more than once? Why should we pray for healing at all? Uh, we talked about those things, and I'm not going to repeat, uh, repeat that message, but if those are some questions that you've had about divine healing, um, you might uh, check out that message online and just kind of see what, what uh, we had to say about that from God's Word. But today, we're going to talk about the specifics of how to get better at cooperating with the Holy Spirit when we're called upon or given the opportunity to pray for someone who's sick or someone who needs healing, how we could do a better job of that. And I've asked you to turn to Acts chapter 19, uh, and I want to read kind of an odd passage, but I'll explain why in just a minute. We're going to start at verse 11. Now God works unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, most of you by now, as we've been studying the book of Acts, understand who Paul is. He was a guy who originally, uh, his original name, given name, was Saul. He was an enemy of the church. He was a, a Jewish Pharisee who hated Christians, but had a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life forever. And now he is known by Paul. He's one of the leading lights in the New Testament and will write um, a number of the books of the New Testament. That guy, that Paul. Now, it says that the Lord did some unusual miracles by his hands so that, verse 12 tells us, handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, I really don't like this a couple of verses very much in the Bible because I always, when I read this, I think about the uh, televangelist who, you know, says, hey, if you'll send me a hundred bucks, I'll send you a handkerchief, stick it on you and you'll get healed, that kind of thing. And this is the passage they use to justify that. I want to suggest to you, and we're going to continue reading here because there's more to this story I want to point out, but I want to suggest to you that this is not a formula that we're supposed to follow. Notice that the Bible specifically says these were un this was an unusual thing that happened. But God loves people so much that he's not as concerned, well, you didn't do it right. You know, he's, he wants to minister to people and to their needs. And so if they, you know, if they think that if they could just get a little piece of uh, something that's been touching the Apostle Paul's body, that that will heal them, you know, God is not above ministering healing in that situation because he loves people. But it's clearly not uh, shared with us in the, in, the, in the scripture here as a model we should follow. Nonetheless, I want you to note that it's there. Now, verse 13 then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, and an exorcist, I think you know, someone who, uh, whose business is to cast demons out of demon-possessed people. These were itinerant Jewish um, uh, exorcists. In other words, itinerant means they traveled around. They were Jewish. They weren't Christian believers. They were, um, uh, th their focus of their life was, this how they, they made their living and everything, was casting demons out of people. 
It, uh, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, and here's what they would do. When they had someone who was demon-possessed, they would say this over them. We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. So there's actually some, some guys identified here, these sons of, of this Jewish priest. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And verse 16, Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This demon spirit beat the snot out of these guys because they attempted to use a formula and God is never formulaic in his ministry. Well, first of all, they didn't believe in Jesus either, but that's another story. My point is, God cannot be reduced to a formula. That's too small for him. We like formulas. And God, if you're listening, just once again, I would like a few formulas. It would help me. Because a formula is predictable. It's like a recipe. You add a, a teaspoon of this, a tablespoon of that, a pinch of that, and you have the same result time after time after time. We like formulas because they're predictable. We would like God to be more predictable. So we are drawn towards anything that sounds like a formula. Give me a handkerchief, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to be all right. Formula. I cast you out, I exercise you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Things don't always work out the way that we think they should in terms of formulas. Why? Because our God is more, vastly more interested in the process, the journey, and ultimately the relationship. A formula you can carry out without a relationship. These guys did not have a relationship with the Jesus whose name they were proclaiming. All they had was the formula. And God is always, always, always about relationship with us, not the formula. So what I'm about to do right now is give you a formula. But I had to say what I said, otherwise you would misinterpret what I'm about to say. I'm going to give you some very specific things that I think ought to be a part of our understanding about how we minister healing to people so that we can do a better job of it. But you heard me say, formulas don't work. God is not formulaic. So, all I'm, so don't write this down as, this is what Randy said, do this, do that, do this, and do that, they'll be healed. Don't do that. But let some of these things kind of settle into the, to the uh, nooks and crannies of your heart and soul and mind so that the, the Lord could draw them out at times when you're called upon to minister healing, things you hadn't maybe thought of before that we can observe in Jesus' ministry of healing. And that's the point. What I'm going to give you now is things that you can observe through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus was healing to sick people. And these are principles. 
These are principles. Principles are different than patterns. A pattern is something you want to do exactly as uh, is laid out. You want to cut along the lines exactly. A principle is something that guides us in an overarching way. And principles will stand the, the test of any context and all of time. Principles uh, are tied to, to certain contexts. You with me? These are principles. So when I give these to you, it's out of uh, observing Jesus' healing ministry and things that I think are important for us to take note of that we don't often think about when it comes to ministering healing. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I've been asked to uh, pray for someone who's been sick? Okay, nearly all of us. Almost every day I'll get, I, I, I assume this has a lot to do with my, my role in people's lives, but almost every day I'll get multitudes of requests from people to asking, them, asking me to pray. Pray for their, um, in a lot of things, but number one on that list is sickness. And uh, I want to do a better job of that, and so do you. You raised your hand because, like me, uh, you want to be available to the Lord to, to do that, but we want to do a better job of it, don't we? Yes. All right, so let's pay attention to these things this morning. And the first of them I want you to note is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where I didn't ask you to turn, and the list of the nine gifts of the Spirit are given, this gift is identified as gifts, plural, of healings, plural. Both words in the Greek are plural, gifts and healings. Why is that important? Well, that's important because a lot of us have this weird notion about the gifts of the Spirit that some get them and some don't. Or some get this one, some don't get that one, some get this other. And we've talked about this already through this series, that the gifts of the Spirit are like a toolbox that is provided to every person who has come to Christ and the Holy Spirit has taken residence. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are qualified to get the call, whatever the situation requires. If a word of wisdom is needed, you're, you're on duty and you have it in your toolbox that the Holy Spirit can draw upon to meet that need. And so it's not about somebody having the gift of healing so that they wander around and anybody who's sick, they slap their hand on them and they get better. It's not about the gift of healing. It's about gifts of healings that the Lord wants to dispense to people who are sick. And all I've got to do, all you've got to do is, be, is put on our brown shorts and you know, be the UPS delivery guy. <laughs> Just hand out the packages. That's it. Gifts of healings are from God, not me. And the answer to the needs that people have. So that's the first thing I want you to notice. But then I want you to pay attention to these few things. First, when it comes to ministering healing to somebody, praying for them, or in person or long distance, whatever it is, this, this is something to take note of. Jesus in Luke chapter 18 did something I think is quite unusual and yet very profound. The, what I put on the screen is there, the discuss the problem. Very rarely do we do this when someone comes to us and asks us to pray for them. We almost always, uh, you know, either, at, at most, we'll, we'll hear from somebody, this person has, uh, you know, a, 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 an appointment tomorrow with a doctor where they're going to, and would you pray that the outcome of the tests would be, 
you know, good and all those kinds of things. So we come at it and we just lay our hands on them, perhaps, or pray long distance for that particular thing to happen. It's sort of an obvious way to pray. Does that make sense? It's obvious this is what's needed. So I pray the obvious thing. But Jesus modeled something in Luke 18 that was quite startling to me the first time I, I really paid attention. He was passing along the road, and there was a blind man there um, begging for people who were traveling the highway. And um, uh, he got wind that Jesus was coming by. So people told him, hey, Jesus is coming this way. And he starts trying to flag Jesus down. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind as a bat. This guy can't see, but he's, I imagine he's doing everything he can to draw attention to himself, along with, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stops and he comes over to the man and then he says this, he says, what would you like me to do for you? He asked the question, something that ought to have been as obvious and plain as the daylight. But he asked the question, he took the moment to ask the guy. Sometimes, dear ones, the simple, simple act of inviting some dialogue with the person that you're going to pray about or pray for before you do can unleash things that are unexpected. Instead of assuming how you ought to pray, start by asking. Because there's more going on a lot of times than we know. So we're listening to the person for the basic details and praying under our breath, Lord, I want to listen to you too. What are you saying about this situation and how I could best serve you in this moment? It's interesting what will happen. One time I was in a group, a home Bible study group, um, and uh, a woman asked, we got to the prayer time, a woman asked, would you pray for me? I can't hear out of my, I forget, I think it was a right ear. She said, and it really, really hurts. Would you pray for me? So we all did. We just gathered around her like we most often do, slapped our hands on her and started praying. God, heal her, take this pain away, whatever. One lady in the group got up and walked off to the, to the corner of the room I, you know, I, I thought at first, where's she going? Maybe the bathroom or something. And then I just, you know, I just participated with everybody and praying for the woman. But this lady had gone over to the side of the room and she was just observing what was going on. And then when we all finished our praying, she, she walked over and she said to the lady who we'd just been praying for, she said, did you bruise your eardrum? Now, I'm not a doctor, uh, obviously, or I'd make a lot more money. But anyway, I, I don't... Bad thing. <laughs> bad thing to say. I'm not a doctor. Um, so I don't even know if that's possible. I don't even know if you can do that. But this lady, very specifically, I remember, this was years ago, I still remember. She said, did you bruise your eardrum? And the lady we'd just all been praying over, who hadn't gotten any help <laughs> by our prayers, by the way, she says, yes, I think I did. She said, earlier today, I was on the floor playing with my kids, and I rolled onto a pencil that went up my ear canal, and um, it, it, it hurt like the dickens. <laughs> but then she said, the first thing I thought of I said this to myself. I said, I bet I bruised my eardrum. So um, 
Whether that's even, you know, possible or not, it was what she thought. The Lord knew that and gave it to the woman, gave a word of knowledge to the woman who was willing to wait a minute and ask and observe and just try to get some information but before pr- proceeding. So when she said that to this woman, did you bruise your eardrum? That in and of itself spoke volumes to her about how God understood her situation, knew her heart and mind, and was available, ready to minister to her. So wise pastor that I am, I said, we've all had a go at it and not much success. How about you pray for her? Since you have this word of knowledge, so she came over, laid her hands on her and prayed for her that fast. The pain was gone. She was able to hear. Simply, because somebody did, took a minute or two to wait for some further information. Now, we can't always do that. And if the person's passed out or unconscious, you're not going to get much of a dialogue with that person, right? But there are many times when if we just took a step back, if we just simply asked, like Jesus did, what may seem obvious, how can I pray for you? You might be surprised what comes up Because the next thing that I want to talk to you about is that there's more than one source to the things that we are troubled by. We are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. We talked some about that last week and how Jesus came to minister healing at all three of those dimensions. And nearly always there's interplay between the three parts of us. With what, uh, in terms of what's going on with us. If I'm sick in my body, there's almost always some component of my emotions or my spirit that's involved in that. And so allowing the Lord to speak into that and help us to identify what's the real source of this. Because I tell you, look, I, 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 I know that there are uh, viruses and infections and uh, genetic diseases and there are injuries that people sustain and there are uh, physical and material causes for much of the infirmity that people suffer with. But, I, but that's not all there is. One guy we were praying for one time with a group of people, he, I think I may have mentioned this before, and if I have, please forgive me. I'm so old, I don't remember. I can barely remember my name most days, but... He, he, was, uh, being di- he was in the process of a diagnosis being, um, by his doctors being finalized, uh, and the symptoms were presenting as lupus, which is a pretty serious disease. And so we were praying for him about that, but we found ourselves beginning to want to ask him some questions about his life. And we began to zero in on his relationship with his father, and some surprising things came up out of that, that. I mean, surprising to us anyway, about the the deep emotional trauma that this man had suffered at the hands of his father. So we didn't just discard the the sickness, but we focused there and began to pray that healing could come to that relationship with his father. And to make a long story short. Um, that guy did not get healed of his lupus condition or lupus-like symptoms that night. But he did begin to experience healing in his soul with regard to his relationship with his father. And the fantastic thing was, as that, that, as that began to get worked out, his symptoms went away. I don't know how to explain all of this. I just know it happens. And I know that 
to not pay attention to what might be an emotional or spiritual component to the sourcing of this infirmity that I'm dealing with is kind of silly. And Jesus uh, made that clear in Mark chapter 12. There was a guy who um, couldn't speak and couldn't hear, so deaf and dumb. And um, the way Jesus ministered to him was to cast out a demon. He didn't address the deafness. He didn't address the fact that the guy couldn't speak. He went after a demonic spirit. And the Bible says that that spirit left him. And when it did, he both spoke and heard. So there's more going on. Let's pay attention to those things. Discern the source. So discuss the problem. Discern the source. Third thing I want you to pay attention to is determine the approach because it's not one size fits all. It's not a formula. Uh, Jesus said this in John 5, 19. He says, I only do what I see my Father doing. And when you have the opportunity to pray for someone, and it's not an emergency situation that requires immediate action where you can't really stop and, and give this kind of consideration to it, sometimes it's, well, not sometimes, it's always helpful to say, Lord, what would you have me do here? Sometimes that means to pray. Sometimes that means to command this uh, infirmity to leave the person. When I say pray, I mean invite Jesus to heal. Sometimes it's inviting Jesus to heal. Sometimes it's taking the authority of Jesus over in a spirit of infirmity or something that's, that's crippling this person. Sometimes it's um, taking some other kind of action. Sometimes it's as simple as counseling a person. But we'll miss a lot if we don't just ask the Lord that simple question. How would you have me I mean, I, I'm, my, my default position is I'm going to lay hands on the person and pray for them. But is there something else you would have me to do, a different approach you would have me to take, Jesus? And, and he will give us that information. Finally, deliver the healing. And I'm going to run through a bunch of stuff pretty quickly here. And, and these uh, are um, things that I've, uh, principles that I derive specifically out of Mark chapter 8, verses 20 to 25 out of my own experience and out of other places in the gospel where we see Jesus healing people. And um, I, I already told you, I don't want you to write these down as step one, step two, step three. But let this stuff settle in on your heart and mind and expand some of the ways you think about how to uh, uh, deliver healing to someone, a gift of healing to someone. First, set the stage. When you have the opportunity or the liberty, make sure that the moment is right. The situation is right. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes the person, uh, we're, we're trying to minister healing to somebody in a, an environment that is so confusing, so hectic, so distracting, that the person is not really available to believe because they're listening to all the other conversations that are, going, that are going on. They're wondering what people are thinking about them while you're laying hands on them and praying for them. There's so much noise, they can't even hear you when you're praying. You know, just that kind of stuff. Think about this. Um, Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 8, when he was praying for another blind man, the Bible says he took him out of town. Why? 
Well, I, th I think in part because he was about to spit in his face. And he wanted to kind of give him some, you know, protect his dignity, uh, make him comfortable, remove the distractions. Um, I'm joking a little bit, but not about the spitting part. The Bible says that Jesus spit in his eyes. Now, I think that what happened was he spit on his hands and then put his hands on his eyes. Now, why would that be important? Why would the Son of God have to do that? I don't know, except that spittle was understood to have medicinal properties by the people in that day, and so was uh, mud or clay, and Jesus used both at different times in his healing ministry. And I think the Lord was specifically making a point that we don't have to know whether it was the spittle that caused the, blind's eye, the blind man's eyes to open or the clay, or just divine inter, uh, intervention in that moment. We don't need to know because faith and medicine are not opposed to each other. All healing comes from God. We've got to be careful. We don't forget that. But Jesus wasn't uh, concerned about using medicinal symbols. Anyway, that's, that's kind of a little sidetrack. But, but the point was that Jesus made sure that the guy was in a place where he could uh, minister to him without distractions and in a way where he could have his full attention and full focus. We often don't do that. Even when we could, we don't. Because we don't think of it. But how much more cooperative could both me and the person I'm praying for be with the Holy Spirit if we just took a little time to set the stage. Second, take action. Now that action may be just waiting on the Lord. It also may be that I will lay hands on the affected area. Why is that important? It's not because there's bolts of lightning that are going to you know, issue from my hands to the person. It's because the, the human touch conveys an awful lot. And when I put my hands on someone, there is a, a, a nonverbal communication that the Lord is present. And just as my hands are on you, there's something of the touch of God that's on you right now too. So that's, it's important. Um, sometimes then it's the, the action will be, as I mentioned before, to rebuke the condition. Jesus said we have authority in his name over everything that would oppose his, his work in this world. And so the right thing to do sometimes is to come against that. Uh, I was praying for someone just before the service started who has had... Um, they, they've, they've been checked by a doctor. They do not have pneumonia, but they have had uh, a cough that will not uh, stop uh, for a month or more. And they're on antibiotics, and it doesn't seem to be affecting anything. And so when I prayed for her, before I asked God, I asked, before I asked Jesus to relieve her symptoms, I rebuked the condition. In the name of Jesus, I come against you, spirit of infirmity. You must yield to the authority of Christ. I, I, you might think I'm weird or crazy for doing so, but I felt uh, that that was the thing that was important at that moment. So that sometimes you take action as the, you see the Lord leading you. And then that action may also be just praying for the sick. You know, praying for the healing. Um, another thing to take note of is to stay alert. And of all of the things I want to give you today, this is the one that's probably going to be the most um, surprising to you and pay the most dividends. So listen up. 
When you minister healing to someone and you're present with them, keep your eyes open. If you do one thing of all of this that I've, I'm presenting you today, this one thing alone will help you be much more effective in ministering to people. Keep your eyes open. For a lot of reasons, one is that it it's a, creates an environment of expectation on your part. Most of the time, we close our eyes and we close them tight because we don't want to know, you know? Right? I pray for you in Jesus' name. See you later. You know. But when you keep your eyes open, there's a sense of, well, I'm, I'm expecting God to do something now and to see it with my own eyes. That's a step of faith, right? Also, there's stuff going on. When you're praying for somebody, the expression on their face can tell you stuff. There's uh, other forms of body language, things that, you know, phenomena that can be happening that you just would be oblivious to when you close your eyes. But when you keep them open, you become aware of certain things. And responding to that phenomenon uh, is an important thing. Checking in with the individual. When you finish praying for someone, ask them. Do you feel any better? That's scary, folks. Like I said, we don't want to know, right? Because if not, if they say no, we, have to, we feel like we have to either defend God's reputation or our own, you know, and come up with some reason why either they didn't believe enough or, you know, they're too much of a sinner or, uh, you know, I didn't do it right or something, to just have that hanging in the air that, are, that I prayed for you and nothing happened is really awkward, so we don't want to ask. But Jesus did. We talked about this last week. The, bl uh, the blind guy that Jesus spit on his hands, put it on his eyes, laid his hands on him, and then he said, okay, you see any better? He, he was completely blind. See anything? Yes, I see men like trees walking. Well, that's improvement. Let's go at it again. Put his hands on G uh, Jesus put his hands on the blind guy, and then he says, okay, now. And the guy says, I see clearly now. We learned last week that Jesus was modeling for us that it's not inappropriate for us to pray more than once for somebody. But he was also modeling this expectation that things can be happening, and if we don't check in with a person, we don't know how to respond to what's happening. I know it's scary, but this one thing, Keep your eyes open and just ask. You feeling anything? You doing any, any better? Boy, it can change things. And then just calmly persevere. So what if they say no? No, I'm not. Um, we don't give up. We say, okay, well, how about if I pray for you again? Or how about if I lay hands on you again? Um, sometimes we'll say, they'll say, no, I got to move on and... Thank you. Okay, but if you ask, some things can open up. Calmly persevere. In other words, don't get frazzled or frantic about make, you know, having to try to make something happen. In other, in other words, don't get into the routine of praying louder this time. You know, Just chill out. <laughs> Calmly persevere until either the person starts feeling better. And by the way, sometimes healing is uh, progressive. Remember Jesus, uh, there, were, there were 10 guys with leprosy that Jesus came upon. And he said to them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Because that was 
uh, part of the Mosaic law. If, you're, if you get healed of leprosy, you had to have it verified by the priest before you could be returned to the community. So he said, go show yourself to the priest. And it says, on their way, they were healed. So sometimes there will be improvement, although not a full healing. That's okay. So keep praying until either you see healing or you see improvement or the Lord says enough's enough. Like with Paul, we talked about last week when Paul prayed many times about the thorn in his flesh. We think it was an eye condition, we don't know. And the Lord says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to reveal my strength through your weakness. And then Paul settled it. Okay, that's, that's good. That's all I needed. So we persevere until one of those things happens. And then finally, one other thing that we almost always forget, that God is most concerned about a person's eternal, eternal life. Most concerned about their spiritual health. He cares about their the, the health of their body, but far more about their eternal destiny. And we will sometimes forget when we're praying for someone that that's a perfect moment to also disciple them, to help them to grow closer to Jesus. In John chapter, uh, John chapter 9, Jesus was ministering to another blind man, healed him. And then the the religious leaders were really ticked off because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Some of you will remember this story. They were so upset that they brought the guy's parents in and grilled them for, you know, is this really your son? Was he really born blind? All this stuff. Why was he healed on the Sabbath? And all these things. At the end of all of that commotion, Jesus comes upon this guy again, the person that he's healed of his blindness. And he asks him, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And this guy who is never seen before in his life now has his eyes fully open. He's no longer blind. He looks at Jesus and he says, tell me who he is so I can believe in him. And Jesus says, well, you're looking at him. He didn't leave it just at the healing stage. He, he, he took it to where it needed to go, this guy's eternal destiny. This is recording number 11203 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 13, 2016. This is the tenth and final message in a series titled, Empowered, the Spirit-Filled Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Power to Change Things, Part 3. 